Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today's episode is going to dive into a broad topic on closeness and connection. You'll hear from both Nicole and I and our contrasting experiences to meet this basic human need. So for me, closeness and connection has been a theme in all of my relationships for as long as I can remember. I found myself seeking what I would call a depth of connection, really feeling known by those that I was either friends with or definitely my romantic partners. And I have had a few of them prior to the relationships that I'm currently in. And what I kept finding over time when I didn't feel connected to these other humans, because in, in my opinion, in a romantic partnership, that depth of connection was something that I was very much looking for. I continued to hold someone else responsible. What I thought was for a very long time, oh, I must be picking the wrong partners. I must be picking someone who can't meet me where I am. Little did I know, and of course, as I began to really view myself and how I was showing up in these partnerships, what I came to realize was I didn't really know myself at that depth. I didn't understand what my wants were, what my needs were. I wasn't really connected even to my emotions outside, of course, of stress. Um, those were the emotions I would bring into my relationships. Outside of that, I wasn't bringing in a depth of connection. So little did I know it, I was the person who wasn't presenting myself in, in a full way, in a knowable way to my partners, yet I was holding them responsible. And of course, I didn't come to this awareness until I began to explore myself, to, to watch how I was showing up, how receptive was I to communication, to connection, to these moments of presence. And what I came to realize was that I wasn't at all. Yet for me, it was a point of near obsession. I was seeking someone who could give me something that I wasn't even giving myself. I want to highlight that last bit of what you said about connection to yourself, because this is really our starting point. When we're talking about connection and closeness, each person is going to have their own definition, what closeness looks like to them, what connection looks like to them, how that shows up in a relationship. So before we can go about meeting our needs in relationship or with others, we first have to explore what connection and closeness even mean to ourselves. And you and I both come from similar backgrounds in, in many ways, in a neglectful or traumatic way. And we also come from very contrasting backgrounds when it comes to the actual visual of what our environments looked like, of the amount of people around us. Were we with other people? You were more often than not surrounded by parents or caregivers or family or mom came to games, even if they weren't emotionally available or emotionally present at all. For me, there was a severe lack of connection or closeness of any sort of adult figure or any external caregiver or guide. It was very much me, myself, and I, and my brothers. So just taking a moment to even witness that in both of our backgrounds helps give us both an understanding in our relationship to see, okay, you're going to have a different take on connection than I am. We're going to have a different take on closeness to me. Once we can understand those for ourselves, understand what connection means to us individually, we're then able to go from there. We then have something to work with and a common ground to talk on. This is a really great point to highlight because the way we are defining these words, connection, closeness, how that factors into connection really is, is born out of those earliest relationships. So to speak to your point, there were adults present in my life. There was always someone home. There was someone speaking. There was someone in the room. My parents were present at my games. Yet in terms of emotions, I was largely left alone. So very similarly then, flash forward in time and I begin to enter into these romantic relationships. I spent a lot of time with my partners. Like I shared last week, I lived with most of my partners. We did a lot of things together. We shared interest. It was all, however, that same surface level of connection. In terms of the depth of emotions, of course, when I was annoyed with my partner or stressed out, I would share that. Though there was an absence of the rest of the emotions, of all of the other things that we experience as humans. I very much didn't bring that to the table, very similarly to the way my family functioned. Everything was very surface. There was connection around stress and the latest issue that was happening. Yet outside of that, there was a large absence of any talk of emotion. So in a very real way, the relationships I was entering in and engaging with, 
I was playing that same role. I wasn't bringing, like I said earlier, a depth. I wasn't speaking vulnerably or honestly about what was going on with me. I was spending a lot of time with these humans, yet I still felt that deep hole. And for me, I can trace that back to my earliest relationship with my mom, not having that emotional attunement really kept me looking outside of myself to fill a hole that really wasn't able to be filled by anyone but myself. Having been someone who went through their teenage years, all of their 20s, really, you know, in some relationships, though, not really always kind of moving around, reinventing myself, doing my own thing. And now being 34, just turning 35 a couple of days ago, being in a relationship now with two very committed, wonderful humans for what's been almost a year and having been now really in business and together for almost three years, I find myself immediately connected to and close to other people. So the first thought that comes to mind is, you know, little Jenna kind of giving myself a gold star, like you did it. You did that thing you could never do. You're in a relationship. You have this closeness. When in reality, there's so much more to look at because it is surface level that, yes, we are together. There is closeness and there is connection. However, it doesn't stop there. Relationships only then begin there. And I can see now when taking that magnifying glass and shining a light really on my past, looking at those first relationships, how they were formed, what they looked like, what the environment looked like, how I very much just grew up and created more of the same thing, except now I'm in a relationship and I have this closeness and I have this connection. And there's almost a jump off point where I have it. Everything's physically in place. Now's the hard part. Now's what we referred to last week as, you know, putting on your brave pants. Even now I have full body chills because it takes something. It takes vulnerability. It takes courage. It's very raw to even sit across from you now, Nicole, and, and to look into your eyes and to connect with you, which makes me think of a comment someone made in our last podcast episode about us sharing in our own relationship authentically. And for this person in particular, that eye contact is so raw and brings up so much human emotion. You allow someone else to see so much emotion and so many depths of your soul when you really engage in eye contact. So I'm doing that now for those of you who aren't watching and are listening. I'm staring at Nicole's eyes and I can physically feel even how uncomfortable in this present moment that makes me. I do have the conscious awareness now and the growth at this point to sit through the discomfort, to know that I'm safe, to know that I'm choosing to do this and begin to rewire that for myself. However, it did take that conscious choice. It took the awareness of my past and experiences. It took the contrast of hearing your past and experiences to understand where we both come to the table when it comes to connection and closeness, to even be able to sit here and really have a common ground and a conversation about it so that we can then together actually create the kind of closeness and connection that we want and not the kind that we're both subconsciously and silently expecting of one another to meet each other's needs that neither of us are voicing. I love that you brought up this concept of, of safety because ultimately while our environments look different, while the way we coped with them looked different, right? I remained in many relationships. I was always keeping them very much on a surface level. You remained pretty much relationship free, looks very different though at our core, what we were both doing was the same thing. We were both trying to keep ourselves safe from what was in our earliest experiences, a really devastating lack of attunement, lack of having a caregiver that could be fully present to us and to our emotions. And when you don't have that, and when you don't have that consistently over time around your emotions in particular, you begin to shut down. You begin to do just like we did in a very adaptive way, find a way to maintain whatever connection is there in the safest way possible. So for both of us, keeping those in our lives at an arm's distance, whether or not because we weren't physically present in the relationship or whether or not we were present in the relationship, but keeping it very surface, keeping it very disconnected, both of those really do come from that desire for safety. So to speak to your point, very logically, I'm sure even a lot of listeners out there who might be resonating with our past, our childhood, the difficulty connecting, I can assume that many of you very logically might want a deep connection, might be looking just like I was for all of those years 
for that connection. Yet when you go to engage in that connection, to find the relationship, to begin to share vulnerably from your heart, likely it'll be very uncomfortable. So I like to bring this up because most often, more often than not, the things we very logically want at our core haven't felt safe, which is why we haven't gone out and expressed those needs, those wants, and have had them met. So in a very similar way, while life looked different, we were both keeping people at a distance to keep ourselves emotionally safe. So looking back now with a fresh set of eyes, I can very much see the patterning of my behavior. I can see the consistency of going to new places, thinking that I'm gaining this closeness or having all of these little attractions or trauma bonds to people and then scurrying away from them as soon as someone actually began to see me. I can see the struggle that I had to receive love or closeness from another because to me, to my subconscious, that was very threatening. That was very scary. It was something foreign that I couldn't understand or process how to respond to. When I was little, I felt very comfortable being alone largely or not having connection or not having closeness because that was my reality. So I grew comfort to my reality. As that changes over time, I'm still yearning and, and subconsciously kind of going after this life of closeness and not understanding why I keep sabotaging it, why every time I keep running away. And now in reflection, I can see, well, I was deeply afraid. I was afraid of something that was so foreign to me because I had never experienced it before. Yet I am still human and I have this deep desire and human pull that I don't really have a say about. My evolution and my existence does depend on a closeness and a connection to another. I want to globalize this to all of us humans. I, I believe that we all share that at our core. I'm sure listeners might have heard, you know, it referred, humans referred to as interpersonal creatures or wired to connect, or really both of those come out of that reality that in terms of our evolution, we need it. We need a caregiver when we are an infant. We can't survive on our own. When we were in very early evolutionary times, we needed that group that we were a part of to literally keep ourselves safe from the enemies that lurked on the other side. So we need other humans and we share that quite universally. And a lot of us who didn't have that attuned caregiver, it will feel very unfamiliar. I like how you're talking about both sides of connection. So while at our core, we all desire this, there are two sides of the giving of closeness or connection, being available to give and also available to receive it. And for me, it was really learning the role I was playing in both over time as I became more connected to myself, to my thoughts, to my feelings. While it is still scary and very vulnerable to share them with others, I've been practicing, right? Maybe it's through text at first and not person to person because to speak to your, your point earlier, it is really scary to look in someone's eyes and share something very vulnerably. So I watched myself go through an evolution where it did feel safer to write it in a letter, to send it in a text from the other room where I could have my space from that person, not seeing their eyes on me and then not seeing that their reaction, whatever it may be. For some of us, that's the journey we take because it is vulnerable. It is raw. And for many of us, it is new. And then, of course, on the other side of it, really now beginning to bear witness to all of the ways that I still close myself down from receiving love from receiving connection from even being present when it is available this is where it can get a little tricky our minds really are these sneaky self-validating machines what do i mean by that now even if i want closeness i know that i want closeness i also know that there's many times i've been in conversation say with nicole and all i really want in that moment is to you know be on the same team to feel close to feel connected but maybe there's annoyance or disagreement or something there. And I've actually had experiences even last week in the kitchen. I think I, I did end up telling you this, Nicole, but I laughed about it in the moment, even to myself, because whatever the conversation or situation was that was happening, I wasn't feeling particularly connected or close. And I could hear my mind literally inside my head, just screaming, you know, just let your guard down. Just let her in. Just drop this. Tell her you want to be close. Tell her you're wanting closeness and you're not wanting to admit to her that you're wanting closeness. And I think in that moment when I caught it, I probably shared it with you. I tend to push myself in the moments 
that I am aware and catch myself stopping myself from closeness because I know that's how I'm going to evolve and grow. But that self-validating machine that is our mind is going to look for validation. That whole time that I was wanting closeness and connection, I was sitting over there with my little clipboard and checklist of all of the reasons I'm not getting connection from you. I'm not getting closeness to you, why I shouldn't try for that, why that's unsafe, et cetera, et cetera. And I know we share the same experience where roles have been reversed, where I know that you want closeness and closeness for you is something that is talked about often or this desire to be present and connect. And it's kind of like last week's episode where to me, I laugh because I'm like, well, how can this woman not feel connected to me if I'm literally glued to her hip 24 hours a day, seven days a week? And it just took a depth of then understanding, okay, what does actually connection mean to you? How do I allow you to feel or understand, you know, that you are a priority to me. I am close to you. I am connected to you because to me being attached to someone's hip 24 seven looks like closeness and connection based on my earliest relationships, having someone physically close, living together, living with my partners is a huge thing for me. It went from zero connection to a hundred percent connection when in reality to my partner's That's not the case. Just because I'm living with you doesn't mean that we're close and connected, but that's what I learned from not having anyone around me. So I just want to be mindful here or have all of us just keep in mind that your brain is always going to find validation for the thing that you're convinced you're not getting or that you don't want. Whatever it is that you're thinking about, your mind is going to back it up. It's going to actually find concrete evidence in the people environments and surroundings around you to tell you that you are right. Thank you for sharing that the moment in the kitchen, Jenna, and I want to share with you. Um, and I think we, we've spoken about this as well, you know, to speak to the point of what we want and then what are we actually doing? How are we showing up in the world? Are we open to receiving whatever it is that we want? And I have a really recent lived experience of having a moment. I think we were having a disagreement about something earlier in the day. So one might call it a conflict of sorts. Um, We took some time, some space away. I very much was feeling, I feel very uncomfortable when there's what I think is a disconnection. For me, disconnection results when we're not feeling the same way, very much mirroring that early environment. We had shared emotions in my family. It was shared stress. It was shared worry. It was shared. So for a very long time, the fact that our emotions were similar or my emotions were similar to someone else's, that gave me that sense of superficial closeness. It didn't leave any room for having different emotional experiences or different opinions or thoughts in any given moment. So that distance that I think is really helpful for some people to take when there's a disagreement or when, you know, emotions are are activated for me in and of itself is very hard to tolerate because I go back to that little girl who felt that distance all the time, I should begin with, and who felt, you know, very dysregulated because of it. So in those moments, for me, it's having a difficulty reconnecting. So flash forward, however long we took apart. I remember you came and I was sitting on the couch and you came and you curled up behind me. Here I am getting what I want, this moment of reconnection. And I couldn't have been, and for those of you who aren't watching, I was kind of in a little turtle shell. I was turned into myself in almost the fetal position. And you were kind of like on my back, more or less, trying to hold me. And I was in embodied in my action. I was very closed off to that. So in that moment, it was really for me, and I'm sure for you, a very big disconnection. I was having in my heart this desire to be reconnected, to come to a mutual place of understanding, yet in my body, in action, I was completely closing you off from any possibility. And I imagine, you know, being on my back in that moment, also putting yourself out there very vulnerably, I could imagine it felt, as I think you shared with me later, very rejecting. And so I share that as an example of all of these small moments where a lot of us might be aware of what we're wanting. However, the way we're showing up is is not in alignment with what we're wanting. So in that moment, I very much wanted to be able to reconnect after a period of time that was very much uncomfortable for me, yet whether I didn't feel ready to or whether it just was still feeling vulnerable and unsafe in action, I was sending you the complete opposite message. I can really empathize with Nicole's experience in those moments because while it felt very rejecting to almost be 
entirely unacknowledged by my partner, who's clearly upset, curled up on the couch, you know, sort of in a sulk-like state. She's going through something. She's upset about something. She wants closeness and love. She's not exactly understanding how to ask for it in that moment, though I know Nicole knows how to. So I also know it's just a moment and I know you quite well by now. So I understood after a check-in with myself too, that I was okay to be present. I was okay to just come and say, how are you? To give you that love, which is something that I also work on very deeply. This comes up, this comes up a lot with Nicole and I, because when there is conflict or there are difficult conversations or there's any sort of dynamic that is anything other than just pure presence and love, it's a struggle for me to return in the very beginning of our relationship. So, you know, go back like a year of being in an actual, you know, relationship with me, you and Lolly, it was downright terrifying to have an argument or a conflict and then still physically be with you to be in the same room or even the same house, let alone still in the same relationship. Because what I saw when I was little is that when there was conflict, when there was explosion or argument or disagreement, however you want to frame it, when that happened, there was departure. That only happened when people were all in the same space, which rarely happened. And when it did, it was like a volcano exploding. Now, when that volcano erupted and I sort of retreated to my own little personal corner of safety and either my mom left or dad left, whoever left, and then ultimately my dad did leave, left enough times and then actually didn't come home really ever. So for me, it signals this fear. Like, what do you mean I'm going to get into a fight with you and then I'm going to get close to you? To me, the relationship's ending. We're broken up. I'm moving on. And I can laugh at myself now looking back. Well, no wonder you were always single, Jenna. No wonder you moved so many places and always sabotaged relationships or sabotaged the potential or possibility for relationship because they terrified me. The closeness in letting someone in terrified me. And even more than that, the coming back to closeness or the reconnection after any sort of conflict was downright horrifying because it was so foreign. It was so new. It's taken a lot for me to really ground myself, to create safety within myself, and to also trust myself enough that I put myself in situations that I know are good for me, that I know are safe, are situations now that I'm consciously choosing and relationships that I'm consciously choosing. So I don't need to necessarily worry about the fear of safety like I had in the past. However, the same emotion is still there. The same tightness in my chest is still there. So for Nicole and I both who want this connection or this closeness, and then when there is conflict, we both individually in our own contrasting ways struggle to come back together. Nicole very much has this, well, Nicole, you, you're right in front of me, have this icing thing that I know you've talked about many times. And Icing essentially is what Nicole was doing on the couch that day after there was conflict or whatever. We both took some space, came back together or what I thought was coming back together, grounded. And Nicole was icing. She was hurt. She wasn't receiving my love. And we did talk about this later. It came up in conversation because this is where that sneaky pattern comes in sometimes. And I know that Nicole is aware of this, which is why we can have such powerful and evolved conversations where in that moment on the couch, when Nicole was sort of dead fishing it with me, I knew she wanted closeness. I had a couple other scenarios or text messages too, where you do state, you want that closeness, you want that connection. And I'm able to empathize with it. And then also say, okay, I know that you're wanting this. However, I'm giving you example a from this morning when I actually provided you with just that and you rejected it and didn't want it. So you're actually not allowing yourself to receive the thing that you want, yet you're holding your partners and the people around you accountable for meeting the need that you want when you're not meeting it yourself. What a conflict that you know, <laughs> I know I find myself in still to this day. And so in the past, for me, it was very similar to you at the first sign of an issue in a relationship, I'm my out. mind would go to worst case scenario. Well, this is clearly the evidence I was looking for. This relationship is over. I too would flee. I'd go make plans with my friends. I'm gonna leave you at home, partner. I'm, I'm leaving. However, when I was then away from the person, either physically or emotionally, there was that deep-rooted conflict. I didn't wanna actually 
be away from that person. It's like the little child who, right, packs up, I'm, I'm running away from home and I only make it. And I actually did do this once when I was a child, I only made it to the front steps. And then I sat there longingly looking at the door and my family behind me. And in a very real conflict, my heart wasn't wanting that distance. And we have to learn that discretion on our own. When is the difference between what is it that my heart wants? Am I scared of the connection that I very real, that I very much want and need in this moment? Is it just coming from that old programming where, you know, this connection felt unsafe or where I didn't have this connection? So it feels largely unfamiliar. Or do I really need to be honest with myself and do I actually need this space? And for me, this is the process of learning that distinction of learning when I do actually want to reconnect, even if I am presenting as a, a, a limp fish or writing you a, a message that isn't so nice and seemingly like I don't really want to connect in that moment. Can I really tune in and listen to my heart? And can I also then make space for the reality of the moments where I'm not ready to reconnect, where I do actually need space, time away to for myself to ground or to even before I even ground into my emotions make sense of whatever it is that I'm feeling. So again, back in my childhood, without having that space or that differentiation, the ability to be a separate emotional being and have my family not worry about me as they did. If I wasn't present or if there was seemingly something wrong, they would immediately go into worry mode. So to stop worrying them, I always present it as fine. So for me, how do I learn how to differentiate my emotions and be not fine when I'm not fine, make sense of what's going on and give myself the opportunity to create safety before then I re-engage with a difficult conversation or with a vulnerable moment. And that's a distinction that we need to find for ourselves. So in this example, of course, I very much was ready. I was expressing all morning in different ways that I didn't really want this disconnection, that I did want this <laughs> attunement to come back. And when you offered it, I was in that more fear-based place, though that contrast, obviously, with other moments where I do actually need a moment away. I do actually need to learn now my work in that moment is I need to learn how to tolerate not knowing what maybe you're doing in the other room, not knowing maybe how you experienced whatever caused our disconnection and just giving myself the time and space to worry about me, to focus on what it meant for me and how to regulate myself. And then, of course, to put my brave pants on, become vulnerable and talk all about it at some later time. So I'm happy you're bringing this up because it doesn't mean that because someone is available to give us love or to reconnect or to give us closeness, it doesn't mean that we naturally have to immediately be available. In those moments, sometimes the best choice we can make is being really honest and with ourselves. And then of course, communicating that to a partner, hey, I'm I'm not ready to engage this conversation again. I actually do need a couple more minutes. And if you are like both you and myself, that would bring up discomfort. The fact that I can even be like, oh, eesh, I need a second away from you is a really difficult communication to make, though in some moments that's the most honest and authentic and close communication that you can offer someone. We, the three of us, myself, Nicole, Lolly, remind ourselves and remind each other all of the time that we are each responsible for ourselves. I am responsible for all of the weather around me. I'm not responsible for how Nicole reacts. She's not responsible for how I react. Same with Lolly. However, I am responsible for me. So it does take that moment of, I need to check in with me first. Do I need some space? Am I going to be reactive? How are my resources? Have I slept? Am I stressed out about something else? Am I even being present to this situation or am I just being bratty and reactive because of a situation that's going on with my family that's just floating under my subconscious? I have to take a minute for me first because, because whatever environment I'm walking into a room with is mine and mine alone. I get to choose where to go from there. And this has been particularly triggering, especially being in a throuple. When you talked about, Nicole, your experience with your family growing up, that codependency, in my mind, it's sort of like a, a blob or this mob of emotion that all sort of sways and moves together. So when someone in your family unit has an opposing emotion or even just a different or different or separate emotion or experience, that innately, the immediate response is that that's threatening. That is threatening to the tribe that you first found safety in, that you first grew up and experienced. So 
around the house, I notice this a lot in connection and closeness amongst the three of us. It can be very triggering if say Lolly and I have a conflict or Nicole and I do, and Lolly and Nicole are getting along just fine. They're sharing the same emotion. And I'm over here in a separate emotion or in an upset or something that just feels separate and isolating. There's a disconnect and my brain goes into this C. They're over there connecting. Their relationship is strengthening. They're just happy together. You know, you're not needed, Jenna. All of that is this self-validating machine of my mind. I'm now looking for reasons and examples to prove to me that we're not connected, that there isn't closeness, that it's unsafe, that I should put all of my walls up, depend only on me and revert back to where I was in my 20s, where I was in my teens. So I use that example because while there's three of us here in a relationship, many of us are in families. Many of us are in relationships with siblings, with coworkers. There's a lot of other people around us. Many of us are also codependent. When we are sharing that same codependency with the groups and the people around us, it can immediately feel very threatening and very scary when you or someone in that group then goes off and has a completely different experience that you can't relate to. Yeah. And I think what comes to mind for this is I have many moments where I remembered my mom commenting on my my dad, say there was some issue in the home or, or some sort of turbulence and my dad or we as a family were going out. My dad went out in public is very personable, likes to talk to everyone, likes to chat up and share jokes with the checkout person. And he shifted as he typically did into that mode and I remember my mom on multiple occasions commenting on that negatively. My mom was still very much impacted by whatever had happened. So she, of course, went out, was much more quiet, much more reserved. And she would say things like, oh, Mr. Personality's back, of course, laughing and, you know, yucking up the block and very much stuck in the feeling that was very real for her and difficulty tolerating, to speak to your point, the fact that my dad shifted out of it for whatever reason. And so that's another example, of course you know, not even in terms of our relationships, when you see your partner, your friend, your roommate, right? And something's very alive within your relationship with that person. And then they shift, they go, they enter a new emotional state with someone else, or they go and have a new experience. And it very much leaves you then feeling not close and not connected. And I think what's important to highlight where this conversation is taking us is the reality that connection isn't once you found it, it doesn't just not turn off. It's not a light switch. It's it's kind of like a dimmer. We can go in and out of moments of connection. We can have moments where we feel so attuned. It's as if you are me in a very real way. And then there's moments where life happens and you have your own emotion over here and learning to tolerate the ebb and flow of closeness and of connection. And of course, when you come from a family like myself, that is really, really difficult. Very much like you, any distance was immediately evidence for, oh, the connection has vanished entirely. So for me, it's now learning how to, to ebb and flow and to embrace the reality that we're not always, myself included, going to be fully present, going to be fully available for that a closeness. And it doesn't mean that it, it is evaporated or gone. Learning how to tolerate the natural flow of closeness and connection, because that's how it, it comes. Um, it's not, like I said, a light switch. Once it's there, it's gone. Though I think what our mind does is remember how it felt when it's there and continue to look for evidence of how it's not there, as opposed to finding those moments to rebuild it, to even just start with pure presence, to then find your way back to that level of connection. And learning how to build that presence. I First of all, I love the dimmer analogy. I'm going to start asking you, how's your dimmer? Where's your dimmer at? Are we low? Hi? Are we needing to brighten? I really appreciate that. Thank you. Something you were saying reminded me of that, that need to cultivate that presence. And really, well, what's at the core of that? How do I actually go about having closeness and connection, sharing the things that are hard to say? And at the core of it, for me, if I really dive in deep, I can see where I wasn't brave enough to share what I really needed, or maybe I didn't know what I needed. But once I was able to identify what I do want, what I do need, the connection that I do want, I also have needed to identify the fact that I deserve it. There was such a deep hidden level of unworthiness that even till just now when that light bulb goes off, that even in this conversation, I wasn't even aware of. And at such a core ingrained in this belief that I'm really not worthy, well, then 
Why would I say that hard thing to the people around me? Why would I express my needs? Why would I come to you and tell you, you know, after a conflict, when we take space, it's really scary for me. It's scary for me because I don't know if you're coming back. And for me, that is very true. That is reality. And it took probably a couple months and a lot of tears to actually get to a place where I could look at you and say, Nicole, I'm scared. I'm scared of fighting because for me, fighting means closure. Fighting means end. Fighting means I'm not going to see you again. So even being able to have that conversation and I can feel the emotion in my body as I'm saying it and possibly hear it in my voice, that shows me just how deep that is, how deep that wound is and how deep that belief is. And it's taken, I'm 35 now, it's taken 35 years for me to get to a place to actually express that and to understand that I am worthy of being in a relationship, having another person. I'm worthy of receiving love. And while that can sound so basic and fundamental to people, that's often why it's so overlooked. Even the suggestion I talked about in the circle in our virtual global healing membership, the practice of being in front of a mirror with yourself, telling yourself, I love you while looking into your own eyes. We talk about the intimacy and vulnerability of looking into another's eyes or looking into your eyes across from me. And the thought of even looking into our own eyes in a mirror, the response back from dozens of members was that they were shaking. Some of them were tearful even thinking about it because they've never spent a moment to have that intimacy with themselves, to even see themselves as a self, as a person with a human need, with a human heart that has this desire and really is deserving to have that desire and that connection with another human being. What a beautiful um, point to bring up because, again, in our at our core, a lot of us do carry that belief that I'm not worthy. When we didn't have that caregiver showing up in testament to how worthy we are, that's the only thing that our very young developmental brain, that's the only sense it can make make of it is that I must be not worthy. I must have done something wrong. There must be something with me that's resulting in the absence of this person. And you said something really impactful to me um, very early on in our relationship. And of course, we revisit it time to time <laughs> still, which is when you asked me, and again, this kind of piggybacks off a conversation that we had in last episode um, around priority and me sharing with you a running narrative that, you know, I didn't feel like a priority to you, Vicky, but like building on this foundation of this conversation. So not feeling connected to you in the conversation we're having now or not feeling consistently connected to you. You said to me when I brought this up very early on in our relationship, you asked me actually a question, which is you acknowledge, you know, whether or not I was open to receiving your love, right? Here I am telling you, Jenna, you're not loving me in the way that I need you to love me. And your response back to me was so profound because it was turning that, that spotlight on me, making myself look in the mirror and ask this exact question. Well, Nicole, how open are you to receiving the love? So are there moments? And the answer is yes where you were showing up in a very real way. You were giving me closeness. You were available for connection. And I I wasn't showing up to receive it. And for me, that very much comes from that deep-rooted belief of I'm not worthy of it. No one showed up for me emotionally in childhood. Must be because there's something inherently not worthy or wrong. And I kept feeding that belief and, again, finding more evidence. So the truthful answer to the question that, like I said, we still do revisit at times in those moments where I'm now in real time or shortly thereafter able to say, you know what, I'm not open to your love right now. And I can then make a conscious choice on whether or not my heart feels ready to be like we were just talking about. But that's a very real big question to ask ourselves: is, are you actually open for connection? Are you saying you want that? Or are you doing all of the things that I've always done, running, holding my hand up, right? Behaving in ways that aren't connectable, that aren't receiving of love that might've been very much available to me in those moments. Growth is exploratory. Healing is exploratory. Any sort of evolution or transformation that we're going to experience is exploratory. It's born from a desire to be curious, to intentionally ask yourselves those questions. So me asking Nicole that, are you open to this? That's what a six, five letter sentence or five word sentence, that's not something that even I had to ask you in that moment. It was very profound. And I'm grateful that you shared that. 
And for anyone listening, that's a question for you to ask yourself. It's this conversation, this episode is really a moment for you to then hit pause or when you're done listening, just explore for yourself. What does closeness look like in your life currently without changing anything? So not how it should look, not how you want it to look, but actually just pausing and taking note of your immediate surroundings of your life right now, frozen in time. What does closeness look like? What does connection look like? What do those two things mean to you? How does that show up for you in your life? Does it feel lacking? Do you feel connected? Once you ask yourselves those questions, you open up an entire space for answers to come in. Many of us immediately respond to, well, I don't know. I don't know what my needs are. I don't know what closeness needs or what connection is or what I need. And my next question to you would then be, well, have you actually spent time asking yourself? You're not going to get answers to questions if you've literally created no space for the answers to come forth. You do actually have to be an inquiry to witness yourself, sort of take note and actually observe you and yourself and your life right now, what connection and closeness are, and then see where there's that misalignment. Well, now you've kind of done a self-inventory on your life. Now, how aligned is that with your true self, with your human desire and need for connection? Is it being met? Are you fulfilled in the relationships and experiences around you? In terms of being curious, I think sometimes the most honest communication we can offer another is, I don't know, right? I'm feeling something. I don't know what it is. I'm taking space. I don't know for how long, right? Sometimes, or I'm at a conflict. I even can imagine saying this, or if I haven't already to you, I want to be close and I don't know how. I feel like you and I have had a version of that conversation where <laughs> you or I both kind of acknowledge, yeah, we want to be close. And I don't actually have the answers. I can't tell you what I need to help you or to guide us through whosoever fear it is that was active in that moment. And for those of us, and whether or not this is in a romantic partnership or in a friendship with a trusted another human, that is completely an okay answer is to say, I don't know, just to begin again, whether or not it's with yourself privately or in your alone time or with another human. I don't know for most of us is the place where we start. We don't have to, as many of us believe, come with a prepackaged solution, know exactly what I have to do to instruct the other person on what I need in the moment. For me, my, my exploration, my curiosity began with entertaining a whole lot of I don't knows that sometimes I do and continue to share with other people. I'm not sure how to get by this. I don't know exactly why this is so problematic. Can you sit next to me or hold space for me separately while I begin to explore? And really important to note here too, Nicole, Lolly, and myself are, I mean, knee deep, head deep in this work. It's what we live and breathe. So it it quite literally is our relationship. You're hearing our relationship. These episodes come directly from our relationship. And I just want to highlight that while we're talking about relationship, whether it be romantic or not, or, you know, with a sibling or a friend, coworker, whomever it is, you could sub that other person out and also take this entire conversation and highlight it about your relationship to yourself. It goes back to what I was saying earlier of this deep core belief that I had buried so deeply that I didn't even surface until some point in this conversation of not being worthy or not feeling like I actually deserve that, not even wanting to acknowledge that there is a worthy self over here who happens to be named Jenna. So this curiosity, these questions, even allowing that space of I don't know that doesn't need to be in interaction with another human being. The interaction that that is with is actually with yourself. There is you that everyone sees in the world. And there's so much more to you that we don't often get to see this deep, authentic, expressive self. And that's why I reference that practice of spending time in the mirror, even just saying hello to yourself while you're brushing your teeth or talking to yourself in the mirror, literally, quite literally, just acknowledging that you are actually a person over there that is worthy of acknowledgement, that is worthy of presence, that is worthy of love. When you start that practice, as uncomfortable or new as it may be, the more you consistently show up for yourself, knowing there is even a self to show up for, then you are more able to 
receive the love from someone else, to allow your walls to come down, to allow that closeness and connection. If I'm not connected with Jenna, there's certainly no way that Nicole's going to be able to access my heart or that Lolly is going to be able to feel close to me in any way because I've already abandoned ship. I've already fully betrayed myself and I'm off. So I've literally left a shell of a human on autopilot over here for my partners to interact with. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. However, I can see that that's how life would have been and would end up as if I continue to have more of the same of the past. And that's just not what I want. I want something very dynamic. I want something expansive and present, which is why I'm here doing the work. It's why you, Nicole, are here doing the work. And it's largely why I would assume most of you have tuned into this episode in the first place. So bringing this conversation full circle, right? My relationships up until a certain point weren't what we would say call close, weren't connected. All of that really was born out of that deep disconnection that I had with myself. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what I needed. More often than not, unless I was feeling stressed, I wasn't really sure what was going on with me emotionally. I didn't even realize how disconnected I was. So very similar to the shell analogy, I was operating as a shell in these relationships with a very deep hole, continuing to hold all of my partners responsible. Your dimmer was down. My dimmer was down. I didn't know it was down. I didn't know how to be connected with myself enough to know, to then begin to speak honestly from my heart with partners, to even give us the opportunity to be close. Now, of course, I can consciously speak about this. I have all of this awareness, yet now still in action. It's difficult. It's unfamiliar. There's a very deep part of me that feels unsafe when we're having opposing emotions, that feels unsafe in certain levels of disconnection or distance between us or lack of closeness, that still very much knows the relationship I want, knows the depth of knowledge of myself that I want to be able to offer another person and still goes through the difficulty and the discomfort that comes along with that. So as we often speak, here with all of you listening in the circle with all of our members, it really, the work, when we use that um, term, it's really an embodiment practice. It's learning how to show up in a new way, even despite how uncomfortable, how vulnerable, and how new it is. It's such an important piece to end on. Even in this episode, I don't know how audible it is when you can hear the shaking in my voice or when I was feeling emotions and I know in past episodes, certain topics and discussions, one we actually scrapped a couple of weeks ago because emotions were just too raw. They were much too present. So in this episode in particular, just 10, 15 minutes ago, there was a moment I felt like I was going to break down into tears. I could feel my voice start to quiver and my whole body quite literally begin to shake. And I actually went through this thought of, okay, Jenna, like, are you really going to put a cut here? Are you going to lose it? And then I realized, oh, this is exactly what we're talking about. This is the physical embodiment. Everything my body was feeling is how it felt in the past. Your body has so much wisdom that it's holding on to. Your past experiences are literally kind of intertwined, wound up in your cells, if you will. You're going to physically go through certain experiences where you have to be conscious to really talk yourself through it, to be present in this moment and be like, wow, okay. Your body does feel like it's going to break down. Your voice is quivering. It does feel like it's going to shake, but I'm not in the past where I used to be. And I can choose in this moment to even allow it to share that that's what's happening because I'm human and everyone who's listening also needs to understand there's no running away from your humanness. As spiritual as you get, as enlightened as you get, as healed as you become, you're still a human being. You're still living inside of this human shell and it comes with all of the feelings, all of the emotions, and those feelings and emotions that were instilled and learned within our physical bodies when we were younger are going to still show up on repeat physically until we actually rewire and consistently embody doing the work like Nicole's saying, which means quite literally talking myself through those moments where I physically feel it in my body, becoming aware of it, understanding I'm safe, and consciously choosing the thought that I actually want, not the one that just came out of left field from the past. And to speak to your point, the thoughts will come out of left field. <laughs> they will be offered to you, right? When there's a moment of distance, you'll have all of the reasons why this is an indicator of the end of the relationship. That doesn't go away. 
the choice really is, what am I going to do with it? Do I have the ability to pull back, to understand that this isn't right a, an actual indicator of not being safe, that actually this is a remnant of my past where I wasn't safe, where I only had one choice to flee, to keep myself emotionally walled or protected. Now I can make a conscious choice to do something new. And that's the greatest wisdom and teaching we can offer our body is taking our body now through a new emotional experience. And that's how we actually create change. It of course doesn't happen overnight. It means consistently doing this, being compassionate to yourself when you don't make the choice to consistently or to do this in a moment when your resources are low, that reactivity for all of us, those old stories will be there. And that's when we become most likely to revert to those older coping tools. When I don't have the resilience, when I don't have the sleep, when I'm tired, when I'm grumpy, when I'm already too stressed, it's going to be really hard to do the new thing in those moments. So when we don't do the new thing and we do the old thing, we offer ourselves grace and compassion and show up anew for the next opportunity to continue to change. Being present and creating a new lived experience is the only way we're going to get the lives that we want. We have to create those lives that we want. And I really appreciate you acknowledging that it is just that it is a new experience. And how does new show up for most of us? It shows up as words like difficult or uncomfortable or challenging because it's new. Uh, Nietzsche has a quote that is one of my favorites. That is, there's more wisdom in your body than in your greatest philosophy. And that to me depicts so well what we talk about here when it's the embodiment of this work. We're not just up here in our thinking minds in this continuous conversation, though actually dropping into our body, watching myself when I do feel constricted or my heart starts to race, watching my physical response to certain conflicts and situations. That's a really great teacher for me. Each of those triggers does have a treasure of something there for me to learn about me. When I uncover and can discover that really and live in this pursuit of curiosity and discovery of what makes me tick, why I do the things I do, well, I'm only interested in that because with an awareness of that, with a witnessing and an observation of my own thoughts and my own body, I'm then able to take the judgment and morality away and just say, oh, okay, I do that thing. That means nothing about me. It's not personal. This is just this pattern that I've developed over all of these years. I don't like how that's working. I don't like how that's turning out. I want to create new. I want to have this closeness. I want to have this connection. It physically feels scary and restricting. That's okay, body. It's new. I know that I'm safe. I know I've put myself into a new safe environment. It quite literally looks like having conversations like that with yourself, with your body. That's the practice of embodying the work and still showing up and persevering. That's the key here. Consistency and persevering through the discomfort, through the challenging times, through what doesn't feel easy. We have these conversations episode after episode based on that exploration, based on that curiosity, based on you and I bringing to the table, if you will, what our experiences have been, continue to be, and what we hope they become into the future. That's why we created the Self Healer Soundboard is to have these conversations in a way that can be visible, that can be maybe a conversation starter for all of you listening out there. And to speak to the point of this episode is right when we explore closeness, when we explore connection, beginning to explore it for yourself, getting curious, hearing our conversations, our journeys. Don't make them your journeys. Take the parts that resonate and go explore in your life. That's how we become conscious beings. That's how we can get to the point that Jen is sharing of saying, okay, yeah, these are my habits. They live in my body. Change and newness feels very uncomfortable, even though logically I know this is the, the direction I want to go to or into. This are the new choices that I now have to make. That's why we have these conversations and we'll continue to have these conversations with the hope that hearing this from someone else might be that spark of curiosity to send you on your own journey of exploring what is closeness, what is connection, 